Hi, welcome to Feedback, the show where I talk to creative people about the interesting things they do. Uh, I'm your host, Luke Humphlett, and in today's episode, I'll be talking with Brian Sandusky, a filmmaker and student living in Gainesville, Florida. Brian, uh, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here. Hello. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so, uh, again, super excited to have you here. Um, this is my first podcast, so uh, you are kind of taking a risk in a sense, but I, I appreciate you kind of coming out here. Um, but I just want to jump basically right into it um, and just kind of get a general feel um, for what you do and who you are. So just tell me a little about, I guess, what you do uh, here at Santa Fe um, and kind of who you are. Well, I am a full-time student here at Santa Fe College. I'm in the digital media technology program. Um, in my fourth year, so I'll be graduating this summer. And uh, I work part-time at UF Health as a video editor. And uh, the rest of my time, I am wrangling millions of children uh, as I am a foster parent. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, being a parent sounds scary. Like, you have five it kids, is. right? I have six now. Oh, six. Oh, yeah, wow. It is scary. Awesome. Don't do yeah. it. Stay away from children. They're gross. I know. Well, I think they're cute, but at the same time, it's kind of like responsibility. It's it's all a, it's all a trick. They're, yeah. They're gross. <laughs> um, so I guess when would you say you kind of first got into filmmaking? Were you always like, yeah, I want to be a filmmaker, or is it something that kind of happened later on in your life? Um, my parents owned a small video production company in Jacksonville, Florida. And they they gave me my first camera when I was about eight years old. It was like this massive VHS camcorder. Nice. And my siblings and I, I'm the oldest of five. We would we would remake movies we'd seen like Jurassic Park or Back to the Future and stuff like that. And um, eventually we would like make up our own stuff. Just sometimes it'd be like variety shows or whatever. Um, and then as I grew older, my parents taught me how to use my first nonlinear editor, which was this German made, it looked like kind of like an Xbox uh, called the Casablanca video editing system. It looks like a joke, um, but uh, it was the very first nonlinear editor I'd used. And from there I went to Adobe uh, Premiere. And then in 07, I got to experience Final Cut Pro for the first time. So I've used... Final Cut Pro 5, 7, and X. And um, now i am come full circle and I'm back on Casablanca. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm back at uh, Adobe. I'm trying to teach myself the whole Adobe Creative Suite. So uh, that and Windows is so much cheaper. Yeah. So, yeah, money is a thing. So going back to that uh, Casablanca editor, how big was it? Because I imagine it had to be like pretty big. It right? was... It was, I mean, if you can imagine the original Xbox, it was kind of that big, really big and bulky, um, maybe a little wider. Um, and then the the operating system kind of looked like something from like the early to mid-90s. Um, and there was one video track, maybe two audio tracks, and you kind of just post it and like pasted things in the yeah. place and and uh, of course it was all sd and um yeah it was it was archaic yeah. um but uh it was it was my first stab and it was a lot of fun yeah 
looking back now, like, does it seem crazy, like, how much kind of technology has advanced? Obviously, that wasn't, like, the peak of technology when uh, you were using it, but does it seem, like, so crazy how, like, accessible, like, programs like, you know, Premiere and Final Cut are? I mean, yeah. I mean, I went from growing up around dedicated hardware to seeing just more software software based solutions like the Adobe Creative Suite. You can just subscribe to that in the cloud. Um and Final Cut Pro and and the and compressor compressor and motion, which I've never seen anyone use. But um yeah, it's kinda crazy how things have changed and how everything used to be far more like you really can only have these things if you were a professional, if you had a a large uh, amount of cash behind what you were doing. Yeah. Now you can have people that are very, uh, I guess you would call them amateurs. I mean, they, they you can you can afford these things on yeah. an amateur budget, and um, it's it's wild and it's 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 also wonderful because it gives a lot of people the ability to express themselves creatively when before it was kind of something that was it was far more limited and who could explore that yeah for sure i mean i've been thinking about this recently like besides just the accessibility of gear and technology like the accessibility of distribution uh that we have now that you know anyone who has a phone you know who has camera and an internet connection could put anything up on youtube and they can find an audience it's like even if you did have gear uh you know 40 50 60 years ago if you you know lived in the middle of nowhere you didn't have really an access to distribution so it's it's crazy to see that you know like young filmmakers or anyone who just kind of wants to jump in just has that opportunity because of like how technology has kind of advanced yeah, I mean it's 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 really fun. Like it used to be that you could only watch yourself on TV like if you were like sticking a VHS or DVD that you made at home uh in your VHS player or your DVD player. Now you can stream yourself like people on the other side of the country can yeah. watch your stuff and you posted it just that night. Yeah, yeah. It's it's wild and it's very exciting and fun. I've I've really been enjoying it. Yeah. Um, so kind of jumping back into your filmmaking story, um, how do you think you've kind of grown as a filmmaker since when you were eight and, you, you know, you got your first camera and you were making, you know, like movie recreations? How do you think you've kind of grown as a filmmaker from then to now? Well, I'm not remaking Jurassic Park as often as I used <laughs> to. Um, nowadays, I find myself... I kind of consider myself a documentarian at heart, uh, which is kind of funny considering I never watched documentaries as, as a kid. Um, I guess part of it had to do with like, there just wasn't as much exposure to them. Like yeah. I had PBS, but um, that's only one channel. Um, um, but like growing up, I, most of my filmmaking experience was, as someone that was just helping my parents run their company. So I was like rolling up cables, um, helping set up gear, helping carry gear, that kind of stuff. And uh, all the learning was kind of secondary. So kind of how I thought of myself until I, I started going to school. 
and started being around more creatives was I kind of thought of myself as <clears throat> just like an instrument. Yeah. I, my original thinking of like trying to pursue a career in film was, well, this is what I've always done. Uh, I'm pretty decent at it. Uh, so I might as well pursue it. Yeah. And um, it wasn't until I was around uh, people like Wes, who is like a fountain of energy <laughs> and enthusiasm and encouragement. Yeah. Uh, like he, he was really kind of the catalyst to kind of seeing myself as an artist. Yeah. And from there, my perceptions of myself changed. And from there, like how seriously I took my work changed. Yeah. Um, I just started having more passion for what I was doing. I started looking more critically at things. And uh, that's where I really feel like my work uh, started to kind of transform into something better. You know, granted, I have, I'm still learning things all the time, but I definitely feel like there was a a change for the better at that point and just how I saw myself. But also, I still recognized I had a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, so it's... If you kind of see yourself always as a student, you're always learning, you're always getting better. And uh, that's kind of how I choose to choose to uh, see myself. So it's, helped. it's worked yeah, so far. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, if, if Wes can't inspire you, then no one can really. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of um, my thought process going into this show where it's like, you know, because I'm, I'm a dual-enrolled student, I'm 16, I'm in a class, and, you know, there's some, like, 18-year-olds, but, you know, most of the people are kind of in their 20s, 30s, even 40s, and it's one of those things where it's like, even if, um, you know, I can kind of push myself um, to do better, I don't ever want to have the mindset that, you know, everything's going fine and I'm on top of this, because I feel like, you know, like, Wes, his kind of mentality is, you know, like you're always learning and you're always kind of a student, which I think is awesome. But um, I want to jump into something specifically. How would you kind of um, describe your filmmaking style? Because I've seen some of your videos, um, but, you know, I feel like maybe the way I would describe it is different than how you would describe it. But how would you describe your filmmaking style? Oh, man. Um I I try to focus on technique as much as possible. Yeah. Um, I'm not as focused on uh, special effects or spectacle as yeah. many as other people are. Part of that is because I just don't feel like that's my strong suit. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like it's not my strong suit because I haven't pursued it as much yeah. as, as other people have. Because um, other people, they just get more, much more excited about that thing than I do and so they just teach themselves everything they can I I agonize over things like what lens choices to yeah. make um, what uh, uh, like I I'm kind of before even doing film I was kind of a techie to begin with yeah. so I, I I agonize over things like gear selection yeah like, is this something I really need what am I going to use it for how will it help yeah. Um, how will it help uh, push my production values forward? Uh, I try not to be the kind of person that just buys a new piece of gear because it's new and cool. Um, yeah. Uh, 
I try to make sure that it's actually something I'm going to use. Yeah, for um, sure. And there'll be something that will add something visually to my work. Um, so I typically try to be pretty well thought out. Um, I'm kind of the person that likes to experiment a lot outside of my outside of my films so that when I actually do begin production, I've tested everything to death. Yeah. And so I've eliminated all variables. I'm kind of the kind of person that likes to prepare for every kind of eventuality. And if something does go wrong that I'm not prepared for, I lose my mind. Uh, but uh, um, I don't know. Like I, as far as like documentaries go, I, I mean, I kind of grew up in a world where my parents kind of controlled my worldview. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. And so, as I grew up and got a mind of my own, I started to become very interested in other people's thoughts. Yeah. And how they live their lives and and how they see the world. And so, usually the f- documentaries I make, and, and this is true with the my um, my thesis project I'm working on right now, it's, it's a very small story. Yeah. About one man and... It's kind of just finding beauty in how he sees the world and what he does. Yeah. Even like the mundane things. For sure. And um, it's, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever be the kind of documentarian that does like these huge epic sweeping stories like uh, Ken Burns and Vietnam or the Civil War and that kind of stuff. I, I, kind of, I find myself favoring small stories. And finding the interesting things and the beauty in those. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great answer. I mean, I think in a sense, like the most kind of intimate uh, stories are the most human and the most relatable because, you know, when you have a documentary that covers um, a really big topic and it kind of it's expansive um, in what it covers, it can kind of you know, be hard sometimes to really feel the connection to uh, the story. And ultimately, it's the story that matters. Um, And I definitely think that's awesome um, that with your thesis project, you're trying to focus on something that's a little more mundane and a little more, um, a little less of a a spectacle maybe to people on the outside. Um, Since you kind of brought that up, You know, I I just kind of want to jump into that. Uh, You've been working on your thesis project in uh, New Orleans. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a documentary. Uh, Just tell me basically kind of uh, what you've been doing, uh, what you did in uh, New Orleans and kind of uh, the story of the documentary. All right. Well, um, it is about my uncle. Uh, His name is Phil Sandusky. He is a uh, impressionist style uh, architecture painter. Oh, awesome. In um in New Orleans, and um he's his story is kind of interesting in that he he became interested in art um, when he was really young, and then when it came time to get a job, he he got he got he got a bachelor's degree in physics, and um, ended up working for a a, a oil drilling company in New Orleans. And um, worked there for quite a while before he finally realized that he he really loved art. 
and that was what was going to make him happy. And New Orleans kind of played a role in that because he was like, oh, this city is so beautiful. The architecture is just amazing and, and so varied. And um, so he just started doing it as a hobby, and then he realized that he wanted to do that full-time. So he quit. And um, he's been doing his art full-time since the 1980s. And um, it's honestly not... There's not a lot of people that can say that they've they've quit their very well-paying job and pursued their 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 passion full-time and like been able to like, get away with it like yeah. sometimes the real world catches up and stuff yeah. like that and uh, for him it's really worked out and I kind of feel like it's an interesting story um, he's really passionate about what he does he he he, does, he follows kind of a very old school approach he like he <laughs> Like the newest thing he has is, um, like, like all this stuff could have been built in like the 1920s. Yeah. Every, every single thing he has. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he, he just, every day he goes out and he tries to paint one painting a day and, yeah. uh, he does, he has, uh, art exhibits, uh, museums around the country. He, sells his paintings online he sells them at uh, little uh, art fairs in new orleans yeah and uh he he has four books he's working on his fifth and uh yeah i've just been kind of this first trip i did over spring break i it was mostly planned as a um production planning trip yeah uh and but i also got some filming done i did some interviews with him and a little bit of shooting of him painting and um yeah it was kind of just there's a lot of his story that i didn't know and so this was going to be kind of as also like discovering for the documentary i was discovering for myself yeah um so you're kind of i was kind of researching as i go i didn't i don't know everything going in like the documentary itself is is the discovery of what your subject is. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been fun. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting when your documentary subject is someone that you've known your entire life. Uh, but it hasn't been bad. Like we've been kind of getting to know each other in a whole new context and that's been kind of cool. Wow. Um, now I'm just excited to see it. I can't wait till the end of the summer. Um, that really does sound like a story to me that's just just gripping in a sense because you know you have this personal connection like you were saying you know kind of as you're embarking on this process you're really getting to know um your uncle more and also i just i mean i love the story i guess at the heart of the documentary that you know it's about i guess uh following your passions um you know instead of kind of you know in a world that kind of tries to bring us down and tries to, you know, put us into careers that are more kind of uh, acceptable or uh, attainable or traditional. Um, I mean, I guess, would you say that's kind of the heart of the story, him trying to follow his passions and doing what he loves? That's, that's definitely how it started out. Okay. It's kind of finding, I'm finding new stories within the story as I go. And so to a degree, 
I have accepted that the story that I started to pursue going in is not going to be the story that comes out when I'm done. Yeah. Um, like I'm learning things about him, about his life and about his art as I go that I didn't know before. And so it's, it's kind of affecting how I already it's affecting how I see this story coming out. Like there's just little things like he talks a little bit, kind of refers to the adage if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. That's complete bull. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he works very hard. He has to, he has to market himself. He, he has to like be very disciplined in what he does to make sure that he has paintings to sell to people. Yeah. He has to like, sometimes he has to discount his work. He has to find out when that's, that's appropriate. And um, he, has to, he has to find out when it's appropriate to discount his work. And it's been really interesting to see um, just kind of what that's like. Because I'm kind of in a spot in my own life where I'm going to be finishing school. Yeah. Before I started school, I was working at a, uh, a railroad company. And I was pretty miserable there. I worked for there for about seven years. And uh, I quit that job to uh, come to Santa Fe and start their their film program and just kind of fill in all the gaps of what I didn't know, which was a lot more than I thought. Yeah. And um, now I'm quickly reaching the point where I'm going to have to go out and get a real job. Yeah. And um, that's kind of scary a little bit. Um, but it's... I mean, that's, that's part of life. Like if you want to do what you want to do, you have to step out on that limb. Yeah. And, uh, I guess when watching and learning from my uncle, like it's both scaring me a little bit, seeing like the limbs he had to step out on. Sure. But it's also encouraging seeing that, uh, it's possible. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess for him, it was kind of the fact that he loved what he was doing so much that kind of kept him going in a sense because you know it's it's easy to kind of quit something uh you don't love especially if the alternative is a lot you know more secure in a sense um but yeah that's really awesome uh i mean i guess do you find yourself um kind of hoping that you know getting getting a job kind of uh in uh, basically video production will allow you to follow a path that will kind of allow you to ultimately make your own films? Or I guess my question is more kind of where do you want your career to go? Like, I mean, I hope that I'm able to work somewhere that I can do documentaries. Yeah. Um, I realize that that is a long shot. So I'm hoping that I can at least starting out after school, uh, start working somewhere where I will still have the creative energy yeah. afterwards to pursue my own projects. Uh, that's something I'm going to have to look out for when I get a full time yeah, job. Is that sure. It's I've, I've had people tell me like, Hey, you're make sure that what you're doing during the day is not sapping all of your creative energy um, for your personal projects. Cause that's where you're really going to have the fun is in your personal projects. 
Um, but I'm also hoping that if nothing else, I can work somewhere where I continue to learn. Yeah, for sure. Um, cause if I'm still learning, then I'm still getting better and I'll, I'll be more intellectually stimulated. That's for yeah. sure. Um, cause I hope I really never get to a point where I kind of forget the, the importance of learning because it's, it's, keeps you growing yeah both as a person and as an artist i mean that's i started the um the same program that you're in you're you know wrapping it up i'm kind of just starting but i started it in the fall and i was just kind of worried and stressed about it but then kind of coming into it you know immediately like i was learning so much and i was you know making connections with you know teachers and other students and kind of learning from them and just kind of seeing you know, how much I still have to learn, like I need to learn and I need to grow, but like in a sense that's scary, but also in a sense that's exciting because I get that opportunity. Um, but um, your documentary sounds very exciting. I'm, I'm very interested in the story. Um, and kind of getting back to that idea of story, how do you, because this is something I struggle with as a filmmaker, how do you balance the technical aspects of filmmaking, like all the gear and all of the editing and all the kind of production side of it with like the creative side um, and really kind of telling the story? How do you kind of walk that line um, and when you approach not only this documentary, but you know all the projects you've kind of worked on? Well, I always ask myself before I... Like I, I have, I have quite a bit of gear um, that I've purchased over the years uh, for school, for just personal use and whatnot. And um, I always try to ask myself, like, how is this going to improve my storytelling techniques? Is this really necessary? Can I afford this? Is there, yeah. a, is there a cheaper way to, to get this effect that I'm looking for? Um, and like just a, 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 a less expensive means of doing it. Um, I also just, I kind of try to be as ergonomic in my setup as possible. Yeah. Um, I try not to get things that I'm often filming by myself. Yeah. And so I try not to get things that, uh, require more than one person to operate or set up. Um, so I, I try to be very realistic uh, in my mind about what kind of scenarios I'll be using this for. And um, and I just kind of give myself time to think about it. Uh, I, I will bore the mess out of my wife talking to her about stuff, but it's <laughs> yeah. kind of talking to her kind of helps get the thoughts out of my yeah, head. And sure. I can often, often um, kind of realize as I'm rambling to her about it that, oh, this this just sounds silly. I don't really need this. I don't, yeah. I don't need this at all. I can, I can, I can achieve a similar thing this other way, or I can rent something or I could borrow something. Yeah. Um, I bought a GoPro a few years ago and I've used it twice. Yeah. That was, that was like a, a very impulsive buy. I was like, Oh, it'd be cool. I can I have this tiny little camera that I could stick places and I normally couldn't and it's waterproof and it'll be great. And 
I've other people have borrowed it from me, yeah. used it more often than I've used it. Um, I'm glad I've been able to let people borrow it, but I yeah. probably wouldn't have bought it if I'd known that would be the case. Yeah. Um, um, I guess, um, kind of pushing further into that, do you ever find that, you know, all this kind of looking over gear and, you know, all of this, do you ever find that that kind of maybe, um, that the story gets lost when you're trying to do a project and, you know, when you kind of find yourself, you know, uh, thinking about, oh, you know, I need to do this because of this and this and this, and then you, you're not really thinking about, you know, each decision should, you know, be motivated by the story and the project, whether it's, you know, the documentary or whether it's a narrative. How do you kind of, you know, get back to the story ultimately? Um, well, one, I never do this. I never get in those head spaces at the yeah. same time. Uh, I'm usually obsessing about gear and stuff. Like, well, I was obsessed about gear sure. even when I'm not looking at doing a project. Um, but uh, knowing what I'm physically capable of pulling off helps me decide and figure out how I can express ideas in my film. Like knowing I have the ability to get this drone shot. I can have the ability to pull the camera back far and away and kind of reveal this world that the artist in my film is, uh, is, uh, painting and kind of gives me like knowing what I can do helps me figure out how I can express and, uh, kind of show the story I want to. For uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so we're coming to the end of the show, but before we leave, I just have one last question for you. Um, if you had one piece of advice for people who are trying to get into filmmaking, uh, what would that be? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> um, just like the one most useful thing, I guess. Find. Okay. So here you go. As a filmmaker... Every, we each have our own uh, life experiences, our own skills, and uh, people that we're around. Each one of us, as an individual, is uniquely equipped to tell different kinds of stories. Last year, I did a documentary on foster parenting. Yeah, There's not a lot of uh, filmmaker foster parents out there. I was uniquely equipped to do that. I'm uniquely equipped to do this documentary on my painter uncle. You, I don't know what you're uniquely equipped for, but hopefully you can find that out someday. Yeah. You don't have to worry about what other people are doing. Find the film that you are equipped to do. And it may take you a while, but it'll come to you. And you'll be better at it than other people. And on that note, um, I think we should end the show, but that's, that's just so true. Um, thank you, Brian, so much for being here. Um, and thank you for talking with me. Um, and thank you, the audience, for listening. Hopefully, um, you were able to um, gather information from the podcast, and hopefully, this will help you become uh, a better creative. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me. Bye.